Well, we are uh, in a series uh, in Ephesians, uh, and so uh, just we have a couple more weeks left, and people have been asking me, how many more weeks do we have left? And I haven't figured out whether that's how many more weeks do we have left or how many more weeks do we have left, uh, but we got a couple more, uh, and we'll start a new series uh, about vital connections that's going to start in October. One other just kind of quick correction is, as Joni was giving the announcement, she said that uh, she is leaving and we're having a party. That's not why we're having a party. We're having a party because they are following God, uh, and they are becoming uh, lead co-pastors at our church in Enumclaw. And so this isn't us kicking them out. This is God calling them away. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not kicking them out. <laughs> we're really sad to see. I'm really sad to see them go. Uh, but, but God has called them on to uh, another role that they had been preparing for for a long time to eventually become uh, lead pastors. And so we just want to celebrate with them. But I, I get it. I get it, Joni. Man, when I left my last church, I thought I was going to die. Uh, because there's something about being family that calls you to fall in love with one another. Amen? You know, and so it's, it's just hard. And yet, the good news is when we get to heaven, we're all going to be together again. And I plan on embarrassing you all for eternity. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on that note, <laughs> our memory verse that we've been working on. Remember, it's three things that we are to do and then the reason why we do it. Let's say it together. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Man, if you live like that, that's a good way to live. Be kind, be tenderhearted, forgive those that harm you, and just remember that Christ has already done that uh, for you. So last week I, I kind of gave you homework and you were supposed to uh, call someone in your life beloved because that was kind of the way God talked about us. How many of you called somebody beloved? Anybody? Uh, oh yeah, a few of you, good. I, I called Jody beloved and then she looked confused because it's not normally what I call her. <laughs> but she's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that's right, that was it. That I use in the, in the sermon, uh, on my sermons, but, but this, this week just kind of had to be one because of the passage we're looking at. So if I had a title, it would be, Why I Never Quote Ephesians 5 to My Wife. <laughs> and if you know Ephesians 5 and what's going to come on, you'll know why, why that is. Uh, but can I be transparent for just a minute? One of the things that happens when you're a pastor is that people um, who are trying to impress you with their religiosity uh, will, will say, isn't that in the Bible, or that's in, in the Bible? And very often, it, it's not. And it's really hard if they put it in the form of the question, like, I'm supposed to answer, and I don't want to be rude, but it's just not there. So I thought, you know, as we kind of talk about Scripture and the right interpretation of Scripture and how we, we do all that, I thought I'd kind of just give you some of the ones that have come across uh, me where someone has said, that's in the Bible, right? Uh, here's, here's, so here are the ones. Uh, you never actually read the Bible, have you, is kind of what I'm titling this, right? Because they must not have. So unicorns. I've had people say unicorns are in the Bible, aren't they? No, they're not. They're, they're, they're not. They're, they, 
dragons. It's like, nope, those aren't in there. There's some crazy stuff in the Old Testament. You should read your Bible. There's some really cool stuff in there, by the way. But dragons are, are not in there. Or some of the things say, when God closes one door, he opens another. Now, there's an element of truth to that, but that is not in the Bible. Uh, I've read it through many times, and it's not in there, okay? Uh, another one, moderation in all things. Again, good advice, not in the Bible. The three wise men. This surprises people. We assume there are three wise men because there are three gifts. But the Bible never says that there were three wise men. There probably actually was more than that because they tended to travel in large groups because it was safe. So I just ruined Christmas, didn't I? Sorry. <laughs> pride goes before a fall. It actually says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So that's actually worse. So if you're feeling prideful, remember, it's not promising that you're going to trip and fall down. It's promising that you're going to be destroyed. So think about that a little bit. And then one of my favorites, God helps those who help themselves. That is not in Scripture anywhere. Uh, that usually gets quoted to me by someone who's trying to do some sort of money thing. In fact, in fact, you know, back when people would come and kind of do presentations about how you too can make a bunch of money on the sideline, they'd find out I was, I was a pastor. That almost always came up. So this morning, uh, we are in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, 21 through 33. If you have your Bibles, or there's a Bible in front of you, or your phone, or I will actually put the uh, scripture up, up here. Um, but this is probably one of the mis most misunderstood uh, passages, uh, I think, in, in Scripture in, in so many ways. Uh, and one of the ways that they kind of distort Scripture uh, is that the, in this passage, they like to quote verse 22, but nobody looks at verse 21, okay? And so normally, this passage gets said to me kind of with their arms crossed and looking down their nose uh, at me as if they have given the final word upon which everything else will rest from this day forward. And the verse they like to quote is verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Pull it together, woman. That's kind of what that says. That's kind of their thing. And it's always interesting to me that they talk about that. And I've never, some people I just ignore and move on. You know, sometimes, you know, they're like, I'll say, well, I'm not sure that means what you think that means. Uh, and they're like, well, what do you mean by that? I say, well, you know, when you interpret the Bible, one of the most important things you do is you have to understand the context. You have to understand the context of the writing. You have to understand uh, the cultural context, the historical context. You have to understand what the words mean in the original language, not just in English, all of those sorts of things. And they say, so, so what's the context that would change the meaning? And I give verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you know what that means? That means we all submit to each other, and that means men submit to your wives. <laughs> murmuring with one amen. Okay, good. We're going to have a good time today. <laughs> so um, th th that, that is actually what it says. The, the, the original language means to each other, not just like a general source, but each of you submit to each other in all that you do. And so you have this, this first sort of thing, and this is the thesis statement for all that's going to follow in the, rest of the in the rest of the sermon. It's all about how do we submit to one another? What does that look like? Okay. Uh, and, and it talks about specifically with reverence for Christ, right? And, and, and that's, that's, it means, carries the idea actually of fear. Uh, a phobia is the word we get. Um, and so uh, this, is a, this is an important thing. This isn't just a casual sort of thing. Hey, if you got time, do this. This is a, a thing from Paul that he is like laying it on thick and he's saying, this, this is important that you submit to one another. Um, 
And then he jumps into this one. So you can see him. Uh, he's writing on papyrus, right? You can't erase it or cover it up or anything. It's, it's a one-way deal when you're writing on that kind of stuff. And so he writes this sentence. Okay, I need to talk to them about submitting to one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then you can see him go, well, let's start with ladies. Wives, comma. And then he goes, I'm a bachelor. I don't know anything about this whole process here, you know? What am I going to say about this and how this works, Okay. And so what he does, basically, you'll see this in the next couple of verses, he basically takes this and just says it again, only says, yeah, wives, you've got to do this too. That's what he says. So notes out, comes out, so it starts out with, who's it addressed to? Well, it's addressed to wives. Do you know what that means, guys? It's none of your business. It's addressed to the wives. This is who it's talking to. It's not saying, hey, men, make sure your wives do that. Paul was not a fool, okay? So wives, and then it goes on. It says, uh, submit to your husbands. You notice it doesn't say submit to men. It says, submit to your husband, this person with whom you are in a covenant relationship uh, together, as you do to the Lord. Uh, In the same way that you submit to God, submit to your husband. So the question becomes really, really important uh, in, in all of this. Uh, is, oops, back up, back up a second, is that uh, th- this is the question. How do you submit to the Lord? Okay, that's, that's important. So what I said a little bit earlier, verse 22 is a restating of verse 21, only it's focusing on women. This is basically Paul saying, I don't really know what to say to the women. I, I, I'm just going to kind of repeat it here so that we can uh, move, move on, okay? Because Paul was a bachelor. We probably, he's probably a widower, actually, because he was in the Sanhedrin. And we know that in order to be a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling body over Israel, you had to be married. So probably he was married at one point. It's probably a short marriage. Uh, we, don't, we don't know the story. But we know that the, the time that he's writing, he's a bachelor, and he has been uh, a bachelor for a long time. So it goes on. He goes on. For as the husband is head of the wife, and as, or in the same way as, Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. So the question becomes, uh, what does it mean to talk about this idea of of headship in in all of this? Uh, So let's kind of jump in here. Also as, um, Christ also is the head of the church. So that's the way in which the man is head of the woman, in the same way that Christ is head of the church. So if you want to know what the head means, you've got to know how Christ was head of, of the church. And so that's kind of the question, uh, the same, uh, and himself being the savior of the body, okay? Uh, so the question is, how was Jesus head of the church? We have to answer this question in order to understand the text, because he uses this over and over again, the headship. And so many men, especially, and so many churches, look at the word head and immediately think, of what the word head means in English in the 21st century. But you know what? Paul wasn't even aware of English. In fact, English as we know it didn't exist when Paul wrote. And he didn't know that America existed. We're all the way on the other side of the world. So when we as think of head in the 21st century, what do we think of? Leader. Boss. Yeah. And people tend to, for some reason, emphasize the boss part of it. So we read this English word, and we immediately think all the guys are like, whoa, I'm the boss of my wife. Don't try this at home, folks, okay? So that, that's the way they tend to think about all of that. But the problem with that is this. Jesus was head of the church by laying down his life in things large and small. 
That's how Jesus was head of the church. As we talked about the Savior laying down his life. That, that Jesus didn't order the church around. Jesus served the church in everything that he did. He, he cared for it. He, he, he loved it. And so to be the head of your wife, to be the head of your home, is to say that you are the chief servant of your wife and your children and your family. Let's say that again. So to be the head of your family, to be the head of your wife, is to say that you are the chief servant of your family. Amen. There you go, guys. That's the key to all of this. It isn't about being the boss. That's, that, that's an English understanding. That's not what he said here. He actually laid out what this looks like uh, for us, and we're going to get into that more in a big kind of way. So the biblical idea of, of leadership is not about being the boss. It's about self-sacrificing love, agape. That's what agape is. Or put another way, servanthood. And so when people ask me, do you believe that men are the head of their home? I always say, well, unless except for this crowd, because you've heard me talk about this before. Yes, but not like you think. Because I believe men are head of the home. But that is not the boss. In fact, it's the opposite of it. It is that God has called men to serve their families, to lay your life down in things big and small, to put the needs of the others ahead of you. Somebody say amen here, guys. This is, and honestly, in my experience, when men catch on to this, they're wired to do this. We're wired to serve, but we love to serve our families. We love to, to make our wife better and our children better and do all of those sorts of things. Men love to provide for their families. It's one of the reasons they get so caught up in their jobs, you know. It's all about this. It's about self-sacrificing love. The Christ who laid down his life for us is the one that did it, uh, did it for all of us, Okay. So this, this section has kind of been uh, about, um, uh, verse 24 here. Now, now as the church submits to Christ, so all wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So that's the restatement. He's just kind of stated that over. And now he's going to turn to us guys. Guys, buckle up. I don't know if we've got seatbelts there, but buckle up because he's going to get on us now. And this is about how to treat your wives, how to live in submission to your, uh, to your, to your wives. And this is why I never read this passage to my wife, Okay. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 21, you know, husbands, love your wives. Want to guess what the word for love is? It's not the one about sexual love. It's agape, self-sacrificing love. Love your wives just as, in the same way as, Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So in case you didn't get it figured out in the last couple of verses, he's just going to make it really, really plain right here, Okay. While she has to respect you, you have to love, self-sacrificing love, and give your life up for your wife and for your family. Any questions? No? Okay, let's move on. <laughs> Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, okay, uh, verse 26. Here is the description, and this is, get this, it's harder for you to see without some knowledge of the background, but this is the description of the bride of Christ. Guys, remember what it was like when she came down the aisle and you saw her, you know, in that moment as you're standing there? I've done a lot of weddings in my course, the course of my life, and I have seen giant men who were rough and tumble and manly men begin to cry in that moment. I never heard of them ever cry, but in that moment, there's something about that that's important. So here's the description. Here's what Christ did. To make her holy, 
cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. This is the image, guys, of how we're to think about our wives and our spouses, what we're doing for them, how we're working in their lives, how we're apart, and and where we want them to go in, in all of this. Okay, it goes on, verse 28, in the same way, in the same way, guys say in the same way, way. husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself in all of this. Husbands, love your wives, sacrifice for them, give your life up for your wife and for your family, be their servant, treat treat her like you did on the wedding day. That's the image you are to have of her. Nourish her into becoming all that God has made her to become and all that he has for us. And and by the way, wives, you just have to be respectful. We got a raw deal, guys. I'm telling you, we got a raw deal. So on verse 29, after all, No one ever hated their own body, but they feed, and the word is nourish, and care for, cherish their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. That's that's the image of it, all of care for and loving. And and the word there that that, uh, NIV uses, feed, is actually nourish. So it's more than just eating. It's the idea of providing someone everything they need to become all that God has been to them. So in a sense, you feed but you nourish your children, right? You don't give them just food. You give them an education. You guide them. You, you help them. You get them on down the road. You encourage them. All, you nourish them. And, and so, guys, nourish your wives to become all that God has intended them to be. Okay, guys, here's a little secret. If you say amen at the right places in this sermon, you are going to be a hero to your wife, okay? So pay attention. <laughs> so you nourish them into to what they need to become, who God made them to be, okay? And cherish, cherish is actually the idea of keeping warm. It's that intimate sort of protection. It's not sexual, but it's an intimate sort of warming their heart and warming their life and, and watching out for them and, and, and protecting them. This, this, if you want to take the whole cherished thing like really, really literal, which you may not want to be, this means when she crawls into bed after you and she's cold and she puts her feet on you, you take it. Okay? Just, they're all going to do that to you tonight. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, so, so again, there's this wonderful, beautiful, warm image of the relationship of what Christ would have for us. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one. That is marriage language. Remember that in Genesis? Many of you may have had this language in your, in your wedding. We had this language in, in our wedding, okay? This is a profound mystery. Yes, it is. But I am talking about Christ and the church in all of this. The wedding of the Lamb, the wedding that we, we interact with, that our marriages are actually a reflection of God's relationship to the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband, okay? So there again, this is the difference, okay? Wives, you need to respect your husbands. Men, you need to love your wife like Christ loved the church. You know, I think if all of us guys could really get a hold of that, I think on Sunday mornings, our churches would be filled with single women looking for husbands. 
Amen? <laughs> Amen, back there. Because this is, this is the way God intended it. Now, now, I know it, part of this is like, okay, what's the deal here? They only have to respect, and we have to serve, and all of that. You have to understand, culturally, women already had to serve, right? They, they, honestly, this is Ephesus. This is not a Jewish community. This is a Gentile community. And frankly, women were property, you know? You could trade them in. You could whatever you wanted in all of that. And so Paul doesn't need to lay a lot down to them with all of that. But the guys, the guys had absolute power, and he is saying to them, no, 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 you do not get to order them around like they are servants. In fact, you are to nourish and to cherish them. Now you see why I don't do this with my wife, because she gets on that whole love thing. All she's got to do is respect, and I'm in deep through all of this. It's such an important sort of thing for us. And now you know why this is it's such an important thing. So let's, let's kind of draw some things out, out of this this morning. Number one. Uh, the Bible teaches mutual submission in marriage. That's quiet. Okay. The Bible teaches mutual submission in marriage. Okay, let's, let's read this together because this is a little hard. Because I know there's a certain way of interpreting the Bible out there that does not believe this, right? And I'm, I'm sorry, but that's just not what the text says, okay? Let's read it together. The Bible teaches mutual submission in, in marriage. Verse 21, we are to submit to one another. And the rest of this is all about drawing uh, that out. We're to work together. We're to be partners in all that we do, uh, in, in everything that we do, amen? I mean, and every marriage is a little different. Some of you work better this way or you work better that way and you figure out your roles and, and all of those, those sorts of things, you know. But, but there's, there's a partnership. There's a mutual submission to one another, Okay. Paul's instructions for marriage are almost exclusively about how men are to serve their wives. Bummer, dude. <laughs> but we're the ones that need to pull our act together. Can I be honest? I've been in ministry. My ministry is measured in multiple decades. And almost always when people come to me struggling, it's the guy that really needs. Not always. There have been, there have been some. But women are just naturally, and this is going to be sexist, I'm sorry, but women just seem to have a better radar for relational things. Amen? They just, they're better at knowing when it's off, and they're better at knowing when we're, you know, all, all of that. And so, this is just, it's not in Scripture, but I'm just going to give you this as free advice who had to pay a price to learn this. When your wife tells you there's something wrong, pay attention. Pay attention. Because I've seen marriages end we're at the very end of the marriage. He's like, I never knew there was anything wrong. And I'm like, she's been telling you for 10 years that there's something wrong and you're not listening to her, okay? So, so there's, the, and again, there's the cultural piece of this. I get, you know, that women didn't, weren't able to do a bunch of stuff and, and so it was important to get the men on board. But I'm just, I'm just in my experience, women are just better with relational sorts of, of things. Um, and then, uh, we, we get hung up on the word submit, right? Because it sounds like it's, like it's a power game. Andy Stanley, who's one of my favorite preachers, says, defer to one another in all things. He, he prefers the word defer. Say defer. defer. Because defer doesn't sound like a power thing, but it sounds like, you know, okay, we'll do it your way. It's okay, we'll do it your way. You know, make the assumption in Scripture that, that, uh, that, that their, their, their way of looking at it is uh, important, Okay. Uh, that, that, that it's amazing how they're working in your life, that God may have given them you for a reason, okay? And you give given them, God may have given them to you for a reason, okay? So let me just add kind of here. 
Uh, one of, uh, a really good book, but maybe the very best part of the book is the title. And the book title of the book that, that I love is this. Marriage isn't to make you happy, it's to make you holy. <laughs> Murmur. <laughs> Which means sometimes she may have something to say to you guys that you need to hear but don't want to hear. And it works the other way too, ladies, in all of that. But defer, defer to one another, listen to one another, pay attention to one another, work uh, with, with one another. And then Paul's teaching raises women to equality in marriage. And I know this sounds like, a, you know, okay, all you're going, yeah, of course, we're equal in, in marriage. But in the first century, this was a radical idea. It always amazes me that people think Paul was kind of anti-women and anti-marriage. All the stuff I read, if you understand the historical context, he is raising women up. You remember last Sunday, last chapter? He was railing about sins that were basically things that harmed women. Prostitution and, and dirty jokes and all of that kind of stuff that tended to objectify women. And see, he was on about that. So chapter 5, all of a sudden he's talking about marriage and he's saying, okay guys, pull your act together. Because in the Christian community, we believe women are created in the image of God. Amen? amen. Yeah, if you can't say amen to that, you're in trouble. And, and so it's, it's the same. He teaches that equality in marriage and in everything we do. And then love your wife with Christ's self-sacrificing love because she's a gift from God to you guys. Amen. That would have been a good place to say amen again. Because <laughs> I know I, I've met you and I've met your wife. You married way above your station in life, a bunch of you. A bunch of you. I married way above my station in life. And so I, I know that in some of the ways this is just, you know, in our modern world it's not quite as hard to get, but I, I want to be clear where we as a church uh, and as a denomination stand on, on this issue. We believe that we are to serve one another and submit to one another, okay? Does that make sense? And we believe in biblical headship as servanthood. That's what we believe it is. We don't believe it's being the boss. That's an English kind of thing, but it is to serve one another. And all God's people said... Well, this morning, um, like I said, uh, we are not celebrating that Ian and Joni are leaving us. We're celebrating that God has called them to serve as shepherds in another, in another church. And so uh, we're going to ask Ian and Joni if they would come to the front. I don't know where they're at, in the back, back there. Uh, and we're going to have them stand here in front. And then uh, as soon as they get here, uh, I'm going to invite as many of you would, as would like, and specifically our elders and other pastors, uh, if you would come down and lay hands on them. Uh, and we want to pray for them and send them out of this place. They have been with us for five years. So the rest of you, if you'd come uh, and just kind of like turn around, face me, because I can lay hands on you. Uh, and so um, they've been with us for five years. They have done all kinds of stuff. It was hard to believe that that many years had, had uh, gone by uh, so quickly uh, in our lives. Uh, but Ian and Joni have been a great blessing at Generations Community. Uh, you've been a gift from God uh, to us. Uh, and if we could keep you, we would. But we don't really want to fight with God, and so we're going to let you go. <laughs> so first, let me say thank you to both of you for all you've done uh, as ministers of the gospel of Jesus in roles both large and small, ministries both visible and unseen. You have faithfully lived out your calling in this place, and it is with great sadness and joy that we now release you to the call to serve God's church in another place. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for sending uh, Ian and Joni uh, to us, Father. Thank you for the journey we have had together and the blessing they have been to us and the work that they have done, the good pastoral work that they have done amongst us. 
We ask, Father, that you would comfort them as they grieve the loss of this place and ministry, Lord. I, I know that pain. I know that when you call us away to a place that it's, it's, it's hard. And so we ask that you would comfort them and that the Holy Spirit would be close to them as they follow your call with joy, but aware of the sacrifices that come with obedience to your leading. Father, these five years that you have sent them amongst us have been joyous and we are grateful. We want to, to thank, uh, think, we want to confess, Father, that, that they are yours in this moment. And so now we release them back into your hand to follow your calling in their life. Bless them in the new place that they serve. Give them success as you measure success. Grant them wisdom and insight and patience and great love for the people you have called them to both lead and to serve. And we ask this all in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in you and in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let us continue to worship in song.